We are talking about abiding today and continuing kind of our second part of that um, as we're looking at John 15. And, um, you know, at the, at the heart of this, I think it's answering a question that's, you know, one of the ones most basic to us all, a question of why am I here? What value do I bring? What is life supposed to mean? And this was something that Jesus again and again emphasized, that, that it wasn't life someday, it was life here and now, and it was this abundant sort of life, this life in the spirit, this life in the kingdom was meant to be experienced today. And in this, he gives what I kind of see as like sort of the physics of the kingdom, how it works, that there's this sort of inflow and outflow necessary in order for us to bear fruit. And this is the image that Jesus gives and, um, and one that I am sure you've heard before. And yet as we kind of unpack it and look at it a little more nuanced, I think it's helpful for us to kind of use it as a template for our own life, to evaluate our own fruit and to see how we're doing in this inflow and then this flowing out of the spirit. So John 15, let me read verses one through 11. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. The word of the Lord. So this fullness of joy, this is what Jesus means by abundant life. And how many of you think that sounds pretty good, right? The joy is, is this thing that deeper than happiness, it's this sense of like rightness that I think often in this life, we kind of, it's a rarity a little bit and we go chasing after joy, find it's a hard thing for us to recreate on our own. Joy, joy is something that we experience. Oftentimes we find ourselves surprised by, as C.S. Lewis would say, it was the, the joy that would catch him kind of off guard and unaware that pointed him towards a, a deeper appetite for something more, a divine heavenly kingdom. And I love this phrase, abide in me. Um, some translations would say remain in me, which I, I think gets at some of the work or effort that's behind abiding. Abiding doesn't just happen. It's, it's an act of the will. And yet it's a sort of surrender of the will. We're willfully submitting is what abiding is. We remain, we stay there. We stay in this place where we can receive. 
Abide in me. I, I was reading this, something this morning and I thought, oh, it's so good that I get these little daily musings. This is from uh, a theologian, um, Diana Butler Bass, I think is her name. Beautiful writer, but she talks about this morning, she sent something out on three-word theology. And she's saying, you know, it's interesting how some of the most profound and seemingly complex theological statements appear nice and simply in three words. God is love. Do not fear. Abide in me. This three-word theology that we can kind of hold on to, but we'll probably spend the whole rest of our lives unpacking just how do we do it. And it's not going to be like something that we handle overnight, but something that instead we grow into. She says, one could live a lifetime with this list and never grasp its full beauty or practice its teachings consistently. But these uncomplicated phrases beckon, holding our hearts and hopes and offering a vision of love and mercy. The way is often found in the smallest things, the fewest words. Maybe all we need is mustard seed faith. To abide. This is what, in the one sense, is the simplest and easiest little command for us. And yet again, what we find something radically countercultural to where we live, but also to ourselves, something that is not as instinctive as we might think. This idea that, that God is the gardener, God is tending our hearts, preparing in us the ability to bear fruit. But, but the key is this vine to stay connected, as we hear here, in the love of God. That that is the thing that brings us to life. That is the thing that gives us our value. And I talked a little bit about last week, this idea of our core values and how those tend to, without abiding, kind of remain in this area of like our gifts and our talents and our abilities. This is the value that we bring. But this image reminds us, no, God is saying there's deeper values even than that. Values that require a life of total dependence, not just mustering up our strength, but living off of God's strength giving away first what we've received. When we do that, the texture of what we give is completely different. What does it taste like? It tastes like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How is the quality of the fruit in your life, would you say, when you hear that list? How does the fruit that your life is bearing taste? And the life of abiding in Christ is to become more and more ripened into this sort of texture that when people think of you, they think of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. I don't know about you, but there's a little tinge of anxiety I get when I just hear those phrases because I think so how, how so often the fruit of my life feels a little bit more fearful than that, a little more anxious than that, a little more angry and impatient than that. Sometimes the fruit that I bear is blaming others and pointing the finger and judging others and trying to hold myself up as right and them as wrong. And Jesus says, here's the answer, abide in me. 
stay right there. Draw your value. Draw that love. Let that speak to you and who your heart is. But it's a release. It's a humble sort of prayer required to abide. We pray like Jesus prayed in the garden. Not my will, but your will be done. Which is a very vulnerable prayer to pray to God. God, not my will, but your will be done. That sort of submission requires tremendous trust and tremendous faith. And again, it's something that we grow into. And here's the thing. My guess is that for all of you, that's not new information, what I just shared. Most of you have probably heard that. Maybe you've heard that forever. And this is what I think is so helpful about the simplicity of this, is it just presents the question before us and goes, how are you doing in that? I mean, that is an interesting thing to sort of jot down in your notes. How am I doing, right? It's taking us from this place of information into this place of action. That it's not enough to just hear. We have to do, or as the passage tells us today, to obey. We have to actually do it. There was a book that was written 30 years ago by this guy, Neil Postman, called Amusing Ourselves to Death. Did anybody read this book? Interesting book, isn't it? And he talks about this information to action ratio and how terrible it is that we, 30 years ago, have this massive amount of information with a very limited amount of action that results from this information 30 years ago. Can you imagine that ratio is today? And we live in a world where we're bombarded by information. We have way more than we can process. And we keep these sort of audio books going and um, podcasts and information, information, the latest new thing. And this is what so-and-so is talking about. And information overload. But when do we actually get to the practice? And if it's not put into action, it goes nowhere. You can, you can abide in God's love, but if you don't somehow turn that and open that up towards others, if all of that is self-serving, something goes wrong in the blessing. I always think of the manna that God gave to the people in the desert. He would give them just enough for that day, and they would try to hold on to it. Remember this? And it would rot. Like overnight, it would go bad. And I think sometimes that's how God's blessing is, that it's given, but given so that we can give it. And this sort of inhale and exhale, as we talked about last week, that God pours this blessing out, but in order for it to really bring us to life and resuscitate our hearts, it has to be given. And there's a third thing that's going on in all of this, not just the input, not just the output, but a work that's happening in our hearts as we do. We experience joy. We experience God's presence. But we also change. We become wise. We become like Jesus. We've talked about this as sort of a vision statement for our church, not sort of. This is a vision statement for our church that we want to become like Christ for the sake of others. How do you do that? By abiding by remaining in the vine and bearing fruit. And as you become like Christ, what happens is you become wise. And I think there's, if I'm 
going to sound a little judgy here, but I think the church as a whole, I'm not seeing these days a whole lot of wisdom. I'm not seeing it in the culture, but I wish I could say I could see us as a counter to that, and yet I'm seeing not as much wisdom in the church as well, and I think this is something that we need to address. How is our fruit? James speaks to this so beautifully. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. That meekness is that posture, that willful submission. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Most people in understanding God's heart are going to do it by encountering the fruit of the church. That kind of is the testimony. And what are they tasting when they taste the fruit? Are they tasting a harvest of righteousness sown in peace by those who make peace? How is our own fruit? Does it taste like this or does it taste anxious and fearful? And if it is, this gives us a nice little sort of... um, Ability to, to troubleshoot our lives. We either have an input problem or we have an output problem or most likely both. And all of us, I think, are in a process of becoming more and more connected and outflowing and clear. I like how Psalm 1, there's this beautiful little vision that's cast of how Scripture sees the blessing and the prosperity of man. He says, Blessed is the man who walks, not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. It's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. And this is God's vision for your life, that you, like that tree, would flourish. But we do this by staying close to that stream, by meditating on God's law. And it brings us to life, and in the right season, we yield And I think, to me, this probably idea of really drinking from the source is where we go wrong. You know I like that Annie Dillard quote where she says, how you live your days is how you live your life. Which really comes down to this 24-hour period of time as a template for our day or for our life. How much of that time do you spend drinking from the stream? Our phones now pop up and tell us, you spent this much more time on your phone than last week, right? You spent about an average of probably two hours a day, maybe more than that, drinking from the stream of your iPhone. Paying attention to podcasts, paying attention to other sources of information. 
And this is life. I mean, this is part of our life now. But how much of that time do we spend really drinking from God's spirit, placing ourselves in that place of love and receiving and drinking deeply? How many of us spend 15 minutes a day doing that? Yeah, Bible recap, 15 minutes a day. <laughs> Little incentive right there. I love that. I mean, this Bible recap, like spend 15 minutes and go, what was your, they call it like, what was your God shot for the day? So good, right? To come to it with 15 minutes and focus on God, what do you have for me today? What would you give me for today? And so often when that comes, when God speaks, when that text in the scripture shimmers or however you come into that space, what we find is something personal, that God sees you, God knows you, God has a plan for you. When you set your day and align your day like that, oh my gosh, like things fall into place. When you just jump straight in, most people pick up your phone, turn off your alarm, check your email, right? Like we're so logged into this way of living. And it's hurting us. Anxiety and depression and all these statistics are just skyrocketing. Deep loneliness, deep disconnect. And scripture tells us, no, that we are, we are made for something different. We're made to flourish. But what we have to do is spend time remaining open to the vine, paying attention, spending time in prayer. This sounds so Sunday school, right? But again, we know this, but we don't do this. And if we look at our life and we see problems, those disconnections, those feelings of worry, whatever that is, our knee-jerk response, it should be like a little check engine light goes on. It says, I need to abide. I need to come into that place of being with God. And I think a lot of times we think, oh yeah, if I only had a break, if I only had some time off, if I only had some space for it. But but let's be honest, usually when we get that space, we go crazy. We're doing a silent day, right? And here's the common experience that I have when I've led retreats or times of solitude is people look at me like, what am I going to do? Right? Because the truth is, we're like, I don't have any time. You're like, okay, come here and we're going to set aside 24 hours. And if you're not used to this, that can feel like a ton of time, you pray, and 20 minutes later, you're like, I'm all out of things to pray about. Now what do I do, right? And so what we do is pull out our phone because we need that little dopamine hit or whatever that is, right? This is how we've, like, learned to live. This is how we breathe. I heard somebody say, if we're really interested, we can stay. We can pay attention for long amounts of time, much longer than we thought. But what we can't stand is boredom. That is like the thing that agitates us. And the second we get bored, we reach in our pocket, pull out our phone, and start to scroll and abide right there in our latest, you know, Instagram feed, whatever that is. And this is where I'm saying that the church is countercultural, not to be anti-technology or these kind of things, but setting aside a portion of every day to abide to come into that place and let God speak to the deepest things about you because that's what his love does. It brings you to life. 
There's this beautiful quote by Howard Thurman where he says, don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and go do that. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Is that good? And that's what it means to be the church. That's what it means to bear fruit is for your life, for you to be thriving. That's um, Irenaeus said that the glory of God is man fully alive. Is that good? So we're not talking about some like sort of discipline to just sit down and like go through things that we don't want to do, but realize at first it's hard. That part of us that, that wants the adrenaline, that part of us that's drawn to the dopamine goes crazy when we sit in silence. But you know this when you go on vacation for any amount of time, you can get there, right? It takes a couple days. But what if we built this into our rhythm what if this became kind of the rule of our life? And that word rule, you know, that we don't like that word, right? It, it sounds uh, too legalistic. But, but the root of that, you know, interestingly enough, was used in a similar way to describe like a trellis that was underneath the vine. That a rule gave a sort of structure to it. So you're plugged in. The, the branch is plugged into the vine, growing on this sort of trellis so that the fruit that is born is the right sort of fruit. And Scripture has a word for this practice that I'm talking about here. And the word is Sabbath, which means stop. To like actually take a day out of your week and stop. And I think probably in the back of your mind, I can anticipate you're going, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Nobody's going to let you do that. To take a day and just be present with God. This was one of Moses' top 10 rules for how to remain with God was Sabbath. You get punished for not stopping. Nowadays, you get promoted for not stopping. Isn't it funny? Even pastors, right? Like, just keep going, right? That's our value we produce. Our value is found in what we do, how we perform. And again, we're walking around so depleted, so tired. What brings your heart to life? This idea that God's calling you into that space to be with him. And Sabbath can be creative, Sabbath can be napping. Sabbath can be anything that's going to build intimacy and connection with your family, with God. Setting, that, setting aside that time so that we flourish. I remember a friend one time telling me on a quiet day that he went skiing. And I said, well, how was that? And he's like, well, I just went by myself and I just tried to be present to God the whole time. And I said, well... What was your takeaway? And he said, God said to me, I love doing this with you. <laughs> Isn't that cool? One of my simple little restful um, routines is to go walk down to trestles by myself. And there's a whole walk down and a walk back. And when I surf, I try not to like, you know, get aggressive. I try to just be present and calm and in that place. And I feel like God loves those days with me. It's amazing how I can like 
there and back, get a whole like sort of epiphany for a sermon in just a simple little surf session there. But I'm just going with this mindset of just being quiet and present and there before God. So if you're one of these people that are like, look, I'm too active, right? Or I'm too ADD. I've got too much going on. Take some time and take a walk and pray. Do something that's a little bit active, but also at the same time, restful. And I think if we cared for ourselves, this is the right sort of self-care, not a me day, but a, a way of just being there and present with God, doing those things that bring joy and that freedom to do it, creating that structure. It's hard to do. There's a lot of ego that gets laid aside when we rest. There's a lot of guilt that wants to sneak in as we do that, and we feel like we're doing something wrong. I was meeting with somebody the other week, and he said, gosh, on Sunday, I just took a long nap, and then I spent the day reading a book. And I said, how was that? And he goes, oh, I felt so guilty. But the truth is, God is like, well done. Rest. This restfulness is what brings vision. It's what renews our hearts. And it's what makes us generous. Because we should be setting aside time to rest. And we should be setting aside time to give. That both of these become part of the rule. Creating space where you can be generous and bear fruit. And to do it without credit, to do it without anybody noticing, to do it to people that can offer you nothing in return. James 1.27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. There's a quote attributed to Samuel Johnson that says, The true measure of a man is how he treats someone who can do him absolutely no good. This is hard for us. That not only are we seeing our schedule through this lens of like my time, my possessions, but, but when we turn around and we give, we, we seek opportunity in our giving. I think Arthur Brooks said they're deal friends, not real friends, right? They're people that we're working and angle with, that we're generous, but as long as that's going to come back to us and be part of our brand or, you know, whatever that is. And I think this is why... Jesus so wisely tells us that when you give to the needy, he says, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. But what's the reward here? The reward is the joy. The reward is the love. The reward is the abundance. As long as we're looking for power and prestige and possession, this is always going to feel too costly to us. But when we see through the lens of God's fruit, he's going, the thing you long for the most, the thing you crave is joy. And it's in this freedom that comes from receiving God's love, receiving God's grace, and then giving it to others. I heard David Brooks given an answer to somebody who was asking him, you know, do you have any advice for the church, any advice for pastors? And he said, yes. He said, give from your abundance. 
He said, so often what the church is giving is given with a sense of inferiority or superiority. It's given with a sort of a motive or strings attached. Give from your abundance and give freely. But you realize there we have to be living in this place in order to do so. The abundance is the fruit that God bears through us that we can't muster up on our own. And so what we do is we open ourselves up to it and receive it. We live in this place of deep gratitude. But we let that move us, right? It stirs us. It generates the energy to give. And these can be little tiny things. I heard somebody describe it as like 15-minute favors. Like, have your eyes open to opportunities to give and to bless people around you. Something that I read this week is that the, the people that live the most content carve a chunk of time out of their week to just give. And the thing is, the thing that God brings to life in you is probably one of the main things you have to offer. Your joy, that life-giving thing, how do you invest it in God's kingdom? We try to do this from time to time just as a church, opportunities for us to serve outside, to go outside of our community, to meet with people in need. One of my favorite things that we're connected to is this ministry called Unidos up in San Juan. And there's all kinds of opportunities through them to, uh, to do tutoring and different things. Patty led a dance class there. Um, but one of the things that I just think is the sweetest is they, they run this like little Christmas boutique out of there that they provide opportunities for them to get Christmas presents. And they need people to just come wrap gifts. We had a whole group of people from our church go down there and just wrap presents at this thing. And the thing that's so cool about that is when they come away, they're just lit up. It feels so good to serve. And there's always a knee jerk in us to like hold on too tight or to withhold or protect that energy. But, but Jesus is trying to teach us how to live lives like his, which are deeply generous. So this is part two of part three. We're going to talk next week about transformation. But I hope this week it's given you a little bit of a stirring around carving out some of your time to rest. And to realize that rest isn't just stopping and it's not just serving. It's a rhythm. In that place, this is the place where we thrive A little excerpt from one of my favorite poets, David White. He says, rested, we are ready for the world, but not held hostage by it. Rested, we care again for the right things and the right people in the right way. In rest, we reestablish the goals that make us more generous, more courageous, more of an invitation, someone we want to remember and someone others would want to remember too. This is the life that scripture gives to us and offers to us and invites us into. May we as a church remain in the vine and bear fruit. Three questions as we close, and then we're going to go to the Lord's table and spend some time remembering the love of God. Question one, what are the things that prevent me from resting? 
How do I feel when I actually stop? When could I carve out time to intentionally take a Sabbath? And not just as a one-off, as a rhythm. I don't mean this in a legalistic way, right? I mean it, there's flexibility, there's creativity. You can play with your schedule, find it where it is. Maybe your Sabbath starts like, I'm just going to do two hours this week, and I'm going to give that, right? Wherever we begin, I think there's invitation and there's grace. Number two, where and when do I most clearly hear God speak? Where do I feel his delight? What are activities that renew my spirit? How can I build and protect space for this in my week? This is true soul care. Keeping that place of joy and intimacy full. And number three, how much time each week do I spend being intentionally generous? How can I invest the blessings I've received in others? What are some ways I can intentionally devise good? And that's one of my favorite Proverbs. I skipped it, I realize. But Proverbs 14, 22. Do they not go astray who devise evil? Those who devise good meet steadfast love and faithfulness. I love the wording of that. Be devious about doing good things. Those who devise good meet steadfast love and faithfulness. May that be said of us.